Hi, this is Shanna Borman here with Straight Talk and Honest Advice, your podcast about the family law journey, thinking about filing for divorce, the divorce process, and then life after divorce. I'm joined today by my friend, Christina McGee. Christina, so glad to see you. Thanks so much for taking the time today. It's absolutely delightful to be here. Thanks for the invitation. So, Christina, would you please tell my viewers what you do, how you work, what is what is your what is your point essentially? What is your function in this divorce process? Sure. So, um, I am what you would call a divorce coach, and um, it's a term that people have become more common with these days. But you know, I started doing this work probably. 20 years ago. And so when people would ask me what I do and I'd say I was a divorce coach, they looked at me like I said, I was the tooth fairy, right? (laughs) Are you kidding me? Is that even a real job? Um, Yeah. So it was kind of uncharted territory, but over the years, things have grown. People are becoming more familiar with coaches. Basically what I do is um, all of my work is designed to support parents and professionals on using a child-centered approach. So really When parents choose to part, how do we keep kids in the center and not the middle of divorce and really understand their perspective, how they feel about it, and how the choices parents are making impact children, not just today, but for the rest of their lives? Oh, that is so, you were, the way you phrased that in the center, but not the middle. I love that. I have to say too, to the viewers, I just spent the last, I don't know, hour or so watching this amazing video that Christina and her people were instrumental in putting together called Split Up. So Christina, can you tell our viewers more about Split Up? Sure, absolutely. Um, So the Split Outreach Project is a joint venture between myself and filmmaker Ellen Bruno. And um, Ellen is the mastermind behind these two films that the project is responsible for. The first one is called Split, The Early Years. And what Ellen said about doing about 10 years ago, was she decided to make a film for kids about divorce something that parents and kids could watch together and it could kind of be a springboard for starting meaningful conversations and also to help kids know that they're not alone, right? That it's okay to talk about all the feelings that they have and to really um, shine a light on how this feels for them. So that was a credibly profound film. And again, it was released about 10 years ago and has really been embraced by professional communities, you know, family mm-hmm. law groups and mm-hmm. um, mediators, collaborative lawyers. Um, so 10 years later, Ellen decided to find out if there was more to the story. And she circled back and she interviewed 11 of the original 12 kids from the first film as young adults and teens. And their stories are what make up split up the teen years. And it is even more insightful than the first film in terms of just really giving parents, it kind of pulls back the curtain on how does divorce impact children's lives throughout their lives, right? So these kids are all looking back on what worked, what didn't, what made, what helped, what made it harder. Exactly. And exactly. it's just so insightful. No, I, you know, I remember watching Split years ago when it came out. You and I were, you and I were colleagues then as well. And I remember watching that video and thinking, wow, this is transformational for my clients to see what their kids are feeling, you know, that the kids are, you know, egocentric, thinking that they're the reason that the parents are getting divorced. So how do we reassure them that that's not the case, you know, and, and now watching Split Up, I was just even more blown away by how, how incredibly insightful these children are about 
really where they are now and how where they are now is a result of the divorce and how their parents handled it. That it was just so tremendous. So can you speak to essentially what are the things that children are, are thinking during a divorce process and, and how do we as not 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 necessarily litigators, but litigants, how do how do parties best um, help them in that in, in during through that process? You know, one of the things that I think each film does a really good job of highlighting is this idea that kids feel tremendously responsible for what's happening between their parents. You know, and when I talk to parents about kids feeling like divorce is their fault or feeling responsible for the conflict between parents, parents have a really hard time buying into that idea. You know, and they'll Mm -hmm. say to me, oh, Christina, come on. My kids don't really Mm -hmm. think divorce is their fault, do they? And the truth is, yeah, they do. And it's not something that just goes away over time. Like even in Split Up, kids refer and talk about feeling enormously responsible for navigating the conflict between their parents, for emotionally caretaking their parents, um, for making sure they keep both parents happy, and actually putting more emphasis on their their parents' emotional well-being than their own. Like it was really interesting. It really was. That was one thing that really struck me. And how many of these 11 children that have, have been were interviewed for this film really took so much responsibility on themselves to please everyone around them. And really, it wasn't until they got, you know, even years past the, the divorce where they felt comfortable expressing their own needs. You know, I mean, and it was I thought that was just mind boggling, you know, that that children felt so responsible for their parents' emotions, their parents kind of easing their parents' way when it really should be the other way around, you know? It, It should be. And yet, you know, this is a process that completely upends life on every single level, right? Everybody is reeling. And in those beginning stages, parents have a really hard time bringing their best self to this process to really have the perspective, right? And the foresight to see that the choices they're making right now have a long lasting impact on their kids. Um, So I, I think it's so critically important you know, one of the best things that any parent can do is that in, especially in the beginning stages, find access to good information and support, right? Because Mm -hmm. it's so easy when those emotions are strong and stress levels are high to get this myopic view of your co-parent, of the situation, to think that you really know how your children are feeling when more often than not, parents don't because kids are filtering what they say, they're walking this very fine line. And if you think about it like a kid, it makes perfect sense why they would feel responsible. You know, when parents are arguing with each other, when they're not getting along, what do they spend most of their time arguing about? Kids and money. The kids, the kids and money. That's right. And so if everything my parents are arguing about has to do with me or is the result of me, how can it not be my fault? Mm -hmm. No, that's so true. It, it, I mean, it's hard to dispute that logic, right? Even though those those arguments are so, you know, generally, I would think superficial when there are really underlying problems that those, you know, that the arguments are just symptoms of, right? You know, difference of opinion and view of the world, right? In how you're going to parent the children, difference of opinion and view of the world, how you're going to spend your money, you know, the real difference there is how they perceive the world around them, not necessarily what what's technically going on with the kids. Well, true. However, 
The problem is, is that those conversations usually don't go that far, right? We're not. No, no, no. I, yeah, no, I hear you. Ah, you yeah, know? absolutely. All the kids here, all the kids here is we're arguing about whether or not Johnny should go to the dance on, on Friday, right? We're arguing about mm-hmm. whether or not Johnny should whatever. And, and I think that that is so, so interesting. And, it, and it's all about perception, you know, perception versus reality, right? And right. kids' perception is it, if they're involved in any peripheral way, they're the, they're, they're the cause, right? Sure, sure. You know, I think one thing I've learned or I've I watched through this video, too, was that children seen even when parents have, you know, they divorce when the kids are young. It's more about how the child, how the parents continue to interact, you know, positively after the divorce and separation. That really is right. what affects them. Right. It's the negative interaction more so than just the separation or, or the divorce. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's a myth that we often buy into. Like if we just hang in and we stay together for the kids, the kids are going to be all right. And really, fundamentally, the truth is, is that how parents relate to each other, whether they're married or divorced, is what has a tremendous impact on children's emotional well-being, the way they move forward in relationships themselves, their self-esteem, their self-identity. And so toxic marriages yield the same kind of outcomes as toxic divorces. So really getting very clear, like you may not have been a good couple together, but that doesn't mean you can't be great parents apart, right? Two good people don't always make a good couple. And fundamentally, this is the kind of idea that we want to communicate to our kids and we want to operate out of as co-parents. Right. And I think, too, when you're when you have a little bit of distance with your co-parent rather rather than being in each other's face all the time, you're much more likely to be able to get along amicably. Right. When you're not. Frustrating one another on the daily, you know. Well, I think when you remove some of the tension in the marriage, you can certainly get there, but it also requires a lot of commitment a lot of, you know, swallowing your pride, biting your tongue, (laughs) not digging in, staying open. It's hard work. No, you're so right. Being conscious about every interaction you have and, and, and how you, how you talk about the co-parent with your, in your child's presence or within their awareness is also super important, right? One of the children, I think in the video was talking about how he hears his mom talk about his dad. And how he hears what she says about him about, oh, you know, your dad's no good. And he looks just like his dad. And I just thought that was so powerful. You know, kids are half of each one, mom and dad. And it's so hurtful for for them to hear one parent denigrating the other in that way, knowing that that's half of them. Right. And I think a lot of parents forget that, that kids literally do view themselves as half mom and half dad, you know, half of each parent. And that's so important. And, you know, when we were together as a couple, kids got lots of feedback about ways that they were like their parents. You know, they say, oh, you know what? You've got your mom's beautiful blue eyes or you're so smart. You do math just as well as your dad does. You know, you've got your dad's math genes. And yet when we split up, you know, those comparisons take a turn for the worst, right? And it starts becoming things like, oh my gosh, you're so sloppy. Why can't you pick up after yourself? You're just like your dad. You know, oh, you're such a drama queen. You make a big deal out of everything, just like your mom. And what are kids supposed to do with that? Right, right. No, that is... We, we do forget. And I think parents are so they're in their own pain. They're in their own, um, uh, you know, 
upset. And one of the children in the film was talking about how the greatest gift his parents gave to him was being vulnerable and saying, we don't have all the answers. Right. And I mean, that that child almost made me cry because I really felt that, you know, being being maybe perhaps weak with your kids is probably the strongest thing you can do. I think being yes, kids need to know that that we have feelings. We don't always get it right. You know, when we mess up, we need to fess up and say, you know what, we might I might not have all the answers or maybe they ask us a question and we might need to say, you know what, I really need to spend some time thinking about that. Um, or when we when we make that statement that we said that thing that we regret or we really wish we hadn't, circling back and saying, you know what, in that moment I was feeling really angry and I didn't show up for you the way I wanted to. Mm-hmm. What I wish I had said was this. And if I ever do that again in the future, I want you to let me know, right? Because I'm really going to try to do better. And I, you know, I think that also encourages the child to some, to be more open as well. You know, one thing that, that many of the children talked about was their, you know, taking care of their parents' emotional needs so much so that their own emotional needs were kind of, you know, pushed to the side, pushed down, ignored, right? And one of the, the, one, the, one girl, what did she say? Something about how it was so exciting to her to think that adults have to put on their own oxygen masks first, like on the, like on an airplane before they can do it for somebody else. So that her, so that she knows almost like that she has permission to address her own emotional needs first. Yeah. That was a real revelation for Olivia. She's the young woman who also, you know, talked about a number of things, but it was very interesting in the making of this film. We noticed that among the young women, There was a real theme about emotional caretaking and feeling really responsible for, you know, making sure that they didn't rock the boat or that parents were okay or stepping in and having to be the parent. You know, Shiel talks about sometimes she feels like she has to be the adult. There were other young Mm -hmm. women that spoke the same way. And I don't think that it's parents' intention, really, to ever put their children in those positions or to burden them with adult worries. But what happens, again, due to the conflict or due to our own emotional stress by not having good supports in our lives for us individually as adults, you know, those emotional boundaries get very blurry and we can't always see, you know, what our kids need or how it impacts them. And often there's a lot kids aren't talking about. A lot of times parents think they know how their kids are Mm -hmm. doing. When in actuality, there's so many behind the scenes things that kids navigate that parents simply aren't aware of. Well, you know, even as as simple as leaving things at one parent or the other's house. And as you get older, you have more things to take back and forth. You know, I think a lot of parents who, you know, have this idea of, oh, you know, this this possession schedule or that possession schedule, it'll just kind of work. You know, they I think they fail to kind of think about really the technical aspects of children bringing their possessions place to place and how those possessions do increase in volume, you know, uh, over time when they get older. So, you know, that kind of awareness is 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 so relevant to the kids, but something I think that many parents kind of just sort of ignore, you know? Well, and I think we can also easily fall into the trap of dealing with some very old constructs that aren't family friendly, like possession, like visitation. You know, I still, I still run into that word all the time, you know, and I really encourage parents, you know, when you were asking like, 
the focus of my work and, and how I can really help parents. You know, one of the things I do is I encourage parents to use a two-home concept that no matter how time is spent, kids feel a sense of belonging and connection in each household, in each place. We reinforce this message that you are going to continue to share a life together. And what children most need is that they need to be anchored in family. And the way we do that is by creating a family. And part of being a family isn't just loving each other and spending time together, but it's having guidelines and expectations and sitting down and going over, you know, the spelling homework or Mm -hmm. making the lunch or getting them to bed or taking out the trash. You know, all those things are part of being a family too. And yet when we go through this process, you know, the dynamics change dramatically. And so I think that this film really underscores this ongoing need that kids have to stay connected to family, especially when Erin, she talks about um, that she knew once her parents split up that they weren't ever going to get back together. But having them all at an event was as close to whole as her family was going to be. Yes, yes. So poignant, right? I mean, as close to whole as her family was ever going to get, that really was. So, yeah. but but you but you so rarely, or at least I so rarely see in the midst of a litigation process, people who are emotionally able to do that, right? So it's part of my I I take it on as part of my job to coach them through that. Say, you know, your kids are going to need both of you for a long, long time. You know, it doesn't stop when high school's over; it goes on way past that. You know. And, and coaching them right. through to, to where you need to be mature enough to where you can be at the same event with your with your co-parent. And that's a tall order. That's such a tall order in the early stages. And But I think you highlight something that is so important. And it's part of the reason I don't just work with parents. I also train professionals because those early contacts, right? family lawyers, client comes to you, you are a significant point of influence and you have the ability to really shape the landscape of their experience and how they're thinking about their co-parent relationship and the ability to identify issues before they become bigger than life, you know, and to refer them to good supports and to suggest, you know, it's hard to go it alone. Make sure you find someone who can really support you and give you the feedback and help you develop the skills that you need to do the best job possible for your kids. Because everything that your children needed before the divorce, they're going to continue to need after the divorce and possibly more more of it. Right, right. Right. And and keep your kid the center of your your attention right keep 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 your eye on the ball because what's important here we're not we're not doling out jelly beans when we talk about possession days what we're talking about is what your kid needs you know and that's really the what i think a lot of family law lawyers they fall down in that you know they they're not they're not focused on the child as much as they're focused on winning prevailing right well or getting an agreement just an agreement. Like that's the focus is we're just going to get an agreement, but not necessarily a good agreement. And so part of my work is really encouraging professionals to rethink how they engage with clients, how they engage with parents and really guiding them on this child centered approach where, you know, we are putting kids at the center and keeping them there and helping parents focus less on each other and more on their kids. And, you know, that word fair <laughs> comes it's a up dirty a word. lot, right? That's and a four letter word. Yep. Four letter word. It absolutely <laughs> is. And and we start talking about time with kids and percentages, like is it 50-50? Mm-hmm. Is it going to be 30-70? Yep. And I think when we treat time with children as a commodity, yep. 
right? Kids internalize that. And so they start thinking about their time as a commodity and becoming very hypersensitive. You know, the same young woman you highlighted earlier, Olivia, who talked about the oxygen mask. She yep. also talked about her time with her parents, her time like a pie chart, 25% yep. 25% here, here. Mm -hmm. 25% there. Did I do it fairly? Uh-huh. Was I fair? Was I fair? And I just thought to yeah. myself, why the yeah. hell does she have to be thinking about her being fair? You know? That kid, poor thing, have to be thinking about being fair to everybody around her when that's probably not the first thing on everybody else's mind. You know, it just but really broke you, my heart. When you look at, right, how the system sets families up, right, when they go into the family court system, they're looking at how are we going to, you know, divide the time and the resources. Those are the big ticket items. And unfortunately, you know, time with kids gets thrown in with how, you know, grandma's China and who's getting the record collection. You know, we just start divvying it up and we start focusing more on what we're entitled to instead of really what our kids need. And so when parents ask me, like, what's the perfect time sharing arrangement? I say to them, well, you need to start with where your kids are at. What was life like before the divorce? Mm -hmm. Like, where were the points of meaningful connection between your children and each of you? You know, how can you craft a plan that fits their lives instead of trying to fit their lives into an already crafted plan? Right. And, that, and you know, that's really the problem, I think, with the presumptions that exist in the law. Right. You have a standard possession order access schedule that, you know, is a rubber stamp that applies to everybody presumptively. Right. Rather than dealing with issues like, you know, we go to, you know, mom's grandma's house on Christmas Eve every year. And then we go to dad's parents house on Christmas morning every year. Why can't we try to preserve those traditions? You know, and 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 we look to, to presumptions as though entitlement is more important than families. And right. that is so frustrating, right? That is so frustrating. But it's in those, it's in the nuance of, of adapting those possession schedules where people can really get buy-in and co-parent successfully. Would you agree? I, absolutely. And I think that's where, you know, the choice of how you move forward in this process becomes really critical. You know, when you're looking for a professional, find somebody who really aligns with your beliefs and what you want is an outcome. I think it's important for parents to really ask themselves some very powerful questions. And one of them that I encourage parents to ask is, you know, when our kids look back on this time in their lives, years and years and years from now, what will we have done to make them proud? Oh, wow. That's powerful. That's really powerful. And if you can use that as your North Star, really deciding at the forefront what is the outcome we're seeking? What do we want life to look six months from now, a year from now, five years from now? And then yeah. choose a professional who can help guide you. That's not necessarily going to rubber stamp your co-parenting plan. You know, yeah. And we yeah. have so many options. You can work with a good family lawyer. You can draw in mediation. You can you know, you can use a divorce coach. You can engage in therapy. There's all of these resources that, but we have to tap into them. We have to be looking for them. We have to guide the process, not allow the process to guide us. And we have to be mindful. We who are these professionals, right? We who do this for a living, we have to be willing to say, hey, you know, 
what I can provide you with the law may not be best for your family. Let's get some other people involved here. Let's get a divorce coach in to maybe build a bridge between the two of you so that we can really keep your kids in, in mind, right? Nobody, you know, lawyers are all narcissists, I think, to a certain extent, because we, you know, so we like to think we have all the answers, you know, and so it's, it's hard sometimes to say we need to pull other professionals in, but I think that's really what behooves us to do. I, I would wholeheartedly agree. And I have found that when you can kind of take that multidisciplinary team approach, right? Not only do you have happier clients, you have better functioning clients, you have families that are able to get through this process much quicker and are more well-adjusted. And, you know, it's a win all the way around. It, you can also get to that agreement place. I think when you take, when the, the children are the lens, through which you're making all these decisions, you can find that common ground immediately, right? It's the one yes. thing they're always going to have in common. And if we can capitalize on that, you are able to do a much better job as a lawyer, as a mediator. Mm -hmm. No, that's true. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Because you get the people in the right frame of mind to create and solve problems. People don't have legal problems. They have personal problems that may have legal solutions, you know, but the willingness to include other mm. types of solutions in the, in the mix, I think is super important. 100%. So I'm wondering, Christina, do you get involved before the parties separate, after the parties separate, during the process? Are you, a, are you appointed by the court? Like, where do you fit into the diagram? So usually parents find me um, and they find me at all different points in the process. I have some parents that come to me at the very, very beginning. They really have a lot of anxiety. At, like, how do we even tell the kids? How do we frame that conversation? How do we transition into two households? What does that look like? And so by working with me together, right, we can start mapping out a plan, which is really super important in the very beginning stages. What plan that out, plan the conversation, plan the transition, get some support. I have other parents, and I would say the vast majority of my work is parents who are dealing with really extraordinarily complicated situations. We're talking like child rejection. One parent has a mental health issue. There's high conflict. Um, mm -hmm. Children are having a really difficult time adjusting. And so things have hit like the critical point and parents are reeling and looking for someone who can help guide them. Um, in those situations, usually I'm just working with one parent, not both. Um, and, and I want to underscore, you know, there are some situations, I mean, in all the things that we're talking about where when high conflict is parent, you know, present parents might say, well, there's nothing I can do, right? Like my, my co-parent is always going to be this way. There's nothing I can do. There's no hope. There's always hope because it's really important to remember you may not be able to control what the other parent does, but you always have control over how you respond, what you say, the context and understanding you provide to your children, the home you create, the love you give them, um, you know, the choices that you make. That's really, really powerful. And children are going to fare far better if one parent gets it together, then if nobody gets it together. Well, and I think, you know, in that vein, agreeing, you know, if we can reach one agreement, you know, uh, when we have these high conflict cases that, that you at least both love the child, right, or the children, right? So at least we're on the same team, you know, we may be going at it a different way. You may fight offense, I fight defense, or however you want to analyze that, or, you know, whatever analogy you want to use, but, but we're both, we're all on the same team, hoping for the best for that kiddo. 
right? Right, right. And that's and that's tough, but it's a great starting place. And sometimes one of the agreements we need to make is that we agree to disagree. Right. I tell parents, if you can't, you know, we often get really caught up in the minutia, like the really, you know, tiny things like what time they go to bed and what what kids are eating, you know, for a snack or what kind of clothes they wear when they go to a specific event. You know, instead of really putting all your energy into that, start with overarching principles. What are the big ticket items that really matter for your kids? You want them to have love and you want them to be safe and you want them to be respectful and you want them to have certain values as a family, right? To be anchored in family, to have, you know, guidelines and respect. There's all these things. So start there, start on the big things and then work your way in. And the truth is being a good co-parent doesn't mean that you do everything exactly the same. There may be differences. There may be different parenting styles. You know, there's usually a reason that you're getting divorced. <laughs> that's a fact. That's right. a fact. That's right. No, that's exactly true. I mean, that's why I tell people, I can't believe you're surprised that they would do something differently than you did. You, you divorced for a reason. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. that's not beyond the realm of understanding, you know. But I think also being respectful enough with your co-parent to say, you know, you don't do it the way I do it. Right. You don't do it the way I would like for it to be done even, but it's not a danger to the child. You know, it's not dangerous behavior. You know, it's just different Then different isn't necessarily bad. Right. Right. And sometimes I will um, help parents change the context of that. So, for example, if there are parents that are kind of haggling over um, a discipline difference, like, for example, you know, maybe one parent let the kids stay up and really late and watched movies, all right? And they're totally, totally frustrated about how dare they and the kids need to go to bed at eight o'clock every night and that's the way it should always be. And so I suggest to parents, I say, okay, well, let me ask you a question. What if the kids were at grandma's and they stayed up late and they watched a movie? Like, how would you be responding differently to that situation? Would you write grandma a thousand word rant you know, would you send her a nasty text? Would you forward her articles about, you know, the evils of television and how it disrupts children's sleep cycle? And no, you would just kind of roll with it. You say, well, wow, glad you had a great time at grandma's house. You got to stay up. That must have been really fun. And we'd move on with our day. Right, right. It was a non-issue. You, you, you made it the issue because of who did it. Right. That's so true. Right. So uh, in your in your role as a coach, are you providing counseling to these parents or are, what is there a difference between a counselor and a coach? Let, let, let's just talk about that. Absolutely. Yeah. Parents get really confused about that. So counseling is really a process therapy counseling where we are kind of reflecting. Right. We're processing how feelings connect up with events, how the past connects up with the presence. We're really, you know, trying to unpack what's happened in a relationship and make connections. And often it has to do with the way we feel, right? Coaching is more of an action oriented process where however you got to where you are, here's where you're at. Now, where do you want to be and what's it going to take for you to get there? What kind of skills and strategies and insights do you need to really be the parent you want to be for your children? And so my work with parents is really about drilling down Let's get real clear about what the focus is. 
and what we want the outcome to be and helping them craft a plan that involves small, manageable steps of action where they can build skills, where they can get strategies to do a better job, you know, to do this co-parenting thing better. And so that's really how I work. What types of resources are out there for parents to develop those skills, to, to kind of learn those better ways? Well, you know, having a coach is one way. Sometimes it's reading a book. Sometimes it's watching really powerful documentaries like Split like, or Split, like Split Up. Yes, yes. Right? Yep. Um, sometimes, you know, I think I truly believe that most parents are doing the very best job they can given the circumstances in the moment, right? And we have to remember that, you know, a lot of what we're dealing with is that when those emotions are high, stress levels are high, our executive functioning, that part of our brain that we need for problem solving and staying grounded and making rest, it's not there, right? So parents are significantly compromised. They're, they're operating in an impaired state. And so sometimes we need someone I tell parents, it's hard to see the picture when you're in the frame. Sometimes we need someone outside of the frame of our lives, right, who's not emotionally attached, who can give us another vantage point for seeing a situation, like how we respond to dad versus how we respond to grandma. How could I, how could I respond to this text instead of react to it? Yeah. Um, and I, I think a lot of times when parents have that active feedback, when you can help them craft clear steps that uh, seem manageable, they can make a lot of progress in a very short amount of time. I've had parents that were dealing with some absolutely incredibly complicated situations, right? Mm -hmm. in, in the context of coaching, my job is to help shore them up so that they can do the best job that they can for their kids, so that they can respond and not react, so that they can gain better skills at communicating with their co-parent, so they can avoid getting triggered themselves, so that they mm -hmm. can give their children a context for understanding and learn how to validate their children's feelings and really stand in those spaces with them when they're feeling confused or they're feeling upset or they're feeling angry. Mm -hmm. So in the counseling sort of, you know, retrospective look, you know, this is how, this is what happened and this is where I got here versus the coaching prospective look. Um, where, where do you see, um, where do you see the children getting the most benefit? So between counseling, it, you know, are you so asking a parent going to counseling? Yeah. I'm, like a parent goes to counseling and they have a retrospective look about why I, what happened before and why I am the way I am right now versus a parent having a coach and that coach kind of encouraging the parent to learn different ways to develop different tools. Clearly, which one do you believe benefits the child more, more directly? Well, I, it depends on the circumstances. And, and so again, you know, I'm, I'm not an advocate of cookie cutter <laughs> solutions for parents. And I really believe every divorce is unique. Um, and if clients come to me and I feel like that they have kind of some patterns in their relationship and some emotional entanglements that I feel like they really need to process, I will say, you need to take this to therapy. Um, in terms of coaching, coaching's like a much quicker process. We dive in really fast. And so it's like, if, if there's a problem, we're going to start unpacking right away. What are the steps? What do you need to do? Where can you start making progress on this? How can you start responding 
differently. So it action, and, action, action. Yes. And at the end of it, I asked my clients, okay, so given what we've discussed in this session, given the context of this conversation, what's one thing you're going to do differently? What's one thing you're willing to commit to? What, what is the, define the action you are going to take. So we build an accountability, we craft a plan and, and parents know what to do when they hang up from being on a call with me. They know that next step that they need to take. And if it didn't work, then we circle back and we take a look at why. Where do we need to change things up? What worked really well? What didn't? Um, so it's a very active process. And I guess the other thing that's different about coaching, uh, at least in my practice, is that my job is to get fired. I want to give parents <laughs> what they need in the shortest amount of time possible and get them moving on with their lives. Uh, you know, I say that that's so funny because I say the same thing to my clients. I'm like, I hope you never have to hire me again because I hope we've addressed as many of the, you know, what ifs as possible so that your order works for you for forever or, or that you put the order in the in the drawer and you never even look at it again because you guys get along so well. You know, that's my yeah. hope for every client I have. Right. But mm -hmm. to get to this better place and, and to be able to get to that better place, you have to be so goal focused. Right. You have to be mindful of what are the steps I need to take in the immediate future and then in the longer future, right, to be able to get to a place where we're all healthy and happy and, you know, starting a, a, a fresh new life after the divorce is finished. So with that, you have to go through the divorce process with that end goal in mind, you know, and that's the coaching, I think, is so relevant to that. It's those practical steps that really mesh with real life. Right. Because there's a lot of help out there. And what's offered is we do a really good job of um, focusing on the problem, but not really addressing the solution. What do I what do I do with this? I understand it. But what do I do with it? And that's that's was kind of the reason behind my writing my book. You know, I crafted a book called Parenting Apart. And I wrote that book with parents in mind because every chapter is like a short 10 to 15 minute read. And I tell parents, the most important page for you to read, the very first page you should read is the table of contents. Go in and look through it and pick a place that really speaks to where you are right now. What's your big worry? Go just to that chapter. Just read that one chapter and you will have enough information to start doing things differently. And then you can dip back in and pick up another one. Yeah. You know, I regularly refer clients to that book because it is such a great, a great resource for how people can co-parent successfully going forward, because it's not something that comes naturally to a lot of people, you know, because they're just not contemplative, you know, but they don't think about, I think, long term effects because they're in the moment, you know. Yeah, that's that is part of the, the dynamic that, you know, the trap that we all fall into. Why are there so few divorce coaches? I think the value of a divorce coach is so obvious, but there are so few of you. Well, actually, it's it's quite a budding field right now, and there are probably more divorce coaches than ever. Um, so I would highly recommend that parents choose wisely. Like uh, you go on the Internet, you type in divorce coach, you're likely to get flooded. <laughs> with a lot of potential results. And unfortunately, there is, you know, there sometimes people want to move into this field because they have a personal connection to it, you know, and, and the, 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 the desire to help is very genuine. Um, but I think the other thing is that, um, you know, there's not a lot of cross sharing between disciplines. 
And that's why I I really like in, in my training program for professionals, the co-parenting specialist certification program is that it's a combination of lots of different professionals. It's lawyers, it's divorce coaches, it's therapists, it's mental health professionals, mediators that all come together that not only do they have an opportunity to learn about a child-centered process, but they also have an opportunity to learn from each other and yes. what each does and how they can help support parents and how they can work collaboratively together. So I think that there's just not a lot known about how divorce coaches can help, right? And so once we know more, then we have an opportunity to really take advantage of that. Right. Knowledge is power. You know, I always say knowledge is power. You know, you don't know what you don't know until somebody clues you in. And so I think, you know, sharing the really the beautiful part of what divorce coaches can bring to a situation is 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 so helpful for the for our viewers that that really may have may be struggling with people that they just think they'll never be able to you know deal with or never be able to work with or they'll you know so frustrated with the situation with their kids, you know, where we can look at things in a different way through a different lens. Right. I think the other thing, I guess the gift to the dark cloud of the pandemic, right, is that it showed us there's lots of different ways to connect. Um, And so, you know, again, when you talk about divorce coaches, it doesn't have to be somebody that's in your backyard. It could be somebody that lives. I mean, I work with parents all over the United States and abroad. I have clients in other countries because they can pick up the phone. And they can drop into a session with me and we can have a meaningful conversation and develop a plan, talk about skills and strategies. And when they hang up the phone, they know what they're going to do next. Right. right. And really, that is such the beauty of of what you bring to the table specifically. You have you have coaching for parents with with parenting apart. You have coaching for professionals with your co-parenting specialist certification training program. You have this beautiful, beautiful set of, of videos with the with the split outreach program. I mean, you just bring so much to the table and we are just so honored that you could spend time with us today. I mean, honestly, Christina, thank you so much. Oh, well, thank you. It was an honor to be here. And I really appreciate this podcast and you, you know, putting this information out there for parents, because unless we're having these important conversations, how could parents know what's available? So thank you. That's true. And I think, honestly, I'll say this too. I think a lot of professionals don't know about this. I think a lot of people in the business don't necessarily know about this. And until we can make everyone aware of these resources that are out there that can make lives so much better for our clients, we really aren't doing doing them justice, you know? Mm, I agree. I agree. Thanks so much again, Christina. Thank you so much. And I, I'm going to have you back when maybe there's a split up, up in the, the 10 years from now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Well, hopefully we don't have to wait so long and we can do it again sometime because there's so much to talk about. Let me ask you, Christina, what is your website? Yes. Yeah, so people can find me at divorce and andchildren.com. And that's a great place to go get some information. I've got a lot of articles and resources. And actually, if parents go to my website, and I have um, a, a sign up. And if they drop in their email address, I offer a 20 page free 
resource guide that outlines all kinds of resources for parents um, that are low cost or no cost. So books for kids by age and stage of development, books for you, different podcasts you might want to check out if you're dealing with high conflict. What are some books that should definitely be on your nightstand? It's got all kinds of information. So I encourage parents, go to my website, drop in your email, get a copy of the, the free co-parent resource guide. Um, it's a great place to start in terms of getting connected. Divorceandchildren.com. It's a great place to learn. Thanks so much, Christina. Again, thank you so much for spending time with me today. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's been my pleasure. Thanks, Shanna.